The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, say another amen, please. Can you turn to your neighbor, tell the person it's good to be with you again today, studying the word of God. It's nice to sit beside you. Tell somebody. Just tell the person you are welcome to wisdom. You are welcome to understanding. So the Lord will speak to you today. He will give you insight. If you give you direction, the word will heal you. The word will bless you. The word will make you what you are supposed to be in Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let's declare one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this. I am walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I said amen. Amen. I said amen. Amen. Healing has come to somebody again today in Jesus' name. Direction has come to every child of God here today in the name of Jesus. Confusion is banished by this word coming today in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I greet somebody again on your left or your right? Tell the person, God bless you. We have been speaking about um, the perfection of the saints of God, which actually is what the Lord is um, doing uh, that is the primary thing I believe that he's doing in our lives. That's the primary thing I believe he's doing in our lifetime that is perfecting us. The reason why he placed us on this earth is so as to perfect us into what we are supposed to be. That is why we are here on the earth. And so that's what he's doing and we must cooperate with that. We should be careful not to be distracted by the things that life offers. For example, life may offer prosperity. Prosperity is not bad, but it's not the main thing God is doing. I hope you're getting my point. For that reason, if prosperity will prevent perfection in your life, God will collect it from you. That's why Jesus said that if your eye is what is making you stumble, I will remove it. That is, I mean, I'm just applying that. He said, have it removed, because what is more important is not what you can gain in this life, but what you can become in this life. So anything that is preventing you from becoming what God wants you to be, that thing has been cursed and it will be removed from your life. Anything that's a hindrance to what God is doing in your life is under a curse. I hope you're getting my point. Anything that's a hindrance to the main thing that God is doing in your life is automatically under a curse. So be very careful that you walk with God, because sometimes what people are doing is that they are handling you know, closely tying to themselves things that are under a curse. Therefore, they are bringing curses into their own lives. And it's not supposed to be like that. We should walk with God in such a manner that anything that God says is accursed, we remove it from our lives. And only the things that are working according to his purpose, only those things are allowed to remain. So what God is doing when he's pruning us is removing the things that are accursed. Can I use that expression this time? Things that are not in line with his purpose. He's removing them. Remember we said when God is pruning, he's not removing only things that are dead. He's removing things that are not effective. I hope you're getting my point. That is, when we say pruning, we're not removing dead leaves. Dead leaves follow by themselves. When we're pruning, we are removing the things that are productive, but not as productive as God ordained for them to be. Things that are producing some results, but not in, you know, in the 
um, uh, the efficiency that God expects. Do you understand? That's what God prunes. So anything that's removing your overall efficiency in life, we, you, God has a duty working with you, you working with him rather, to prune them out of uh, in your life. All right? The Lord is good. And that's what we've been looking at. Last time, I began to explain the impact or the effect of the word of God again. I said that's the most important thing. Anytime I preach, I go round and round and round and round. Eventually, I come back to it. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Just small digression for preachers who are listening to me. When you want to have trouble in ministry, start looking for something new to preach. That is how you start having trouble in ministry. You start looking for something new to preach. I have preached this one before. You know, so you don't want to preach it again. That way you are looking for trouble for your ministry. You are looking for trouble for your soul. You know, you want to preach something new. You, anytime you come on, people must know you have a revelation. You understand my point? You want to impress people with the revelations that you're bringing forth from the presence of the Lord every time you go to fasting and worship. Listen, my friend, your ministry is about to come to an end. It is better for you to come, open your Bibles, everybody, to the book of Genesis chapter 1, read Genesis chapter 1, close it, share the closing prayer, and go home. Come back next time, read Genesis chapter 2. It's better to, that, to do that than to be looking for something new to preach. Once you start looking for something new, you start looking for something false to say. That's just the way it works. I've seen ministers do it before. Anytime they get every year, they want to have a new revelation for the people. Listen, I've said it before here. The man that blessed me so much in that area, his name is Kennedy Hagen. Now listen to me, there's flesh, or nobody, um, nobody's above these things. You just have to, you have to overcome the flesh. You have to deliberately, you understand my point? Bring down the things that are of the flesh. It happens to everybody. It happened to me too, you know? You preach, you preach. After you have finished preaching, ah, you want to start again the following year. You want people are going to gather again, expecting you to bless them. Are you going to give them the same thing you gave them before? You know, I thought about it, but good enough, God helped me. I overcame that thing rapidly. There are many ways I overcame those things. One of the ways the Lord helped me to overcome it was that I'm not used to telling lies. I don't know whether you get my point. You know, there's one scripture that, it, that Paul, uh, no, there's one scripture that Paul wrote in, to the Romans. He explained that each one has a gift according to the measure of the grace of Christ. Or each one has grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He said, let us exercise it accordingly. That is, don't say what you cannot say by faith. I don't know whether I get my point. I want to say by faith. People think that by faith means that say things that you know is not true. Just say it, believing it to be true. No. What Paul was saying when he wrote that to, in, in, the, in Romans chapter 12, was that only say things you can say confidently. Do you understand my point? You say it assuredly. You know what you are saying to be true. You know, so that's why you don't preach. That's why for me, I don't preach things I don't understand. I don't preach things I cannot answer questions on. How you know you understand something? Like one man I was watching the other day, a friend sent me a link from YouTube and he was teaching mathematics, okay? And he said something that under, that ability to change perspective is a proof of understanding. I said, oh, this is beautiful. That you, you can look at it from different angles. He said, it shows you understand it. And, and, and so for me, from time, anything I don't understand like that, I'm not going to preach it. Do you understand my point? I will not preach it. So that helped me. That's one thing that helped me. The fact that, look, you have to exercise it by faith. You have to do it in accordance to the measure of your faith. That's what Paul was saying. You have to be able to speak with confidence. It's a measure of what? Faith. So you don't speak beyond that measure of faith. What you can do with confidence. That was the first thing that helped me. The second thing that helped me is the man, Kenneth Higgin. You know Kenneth Higgin? He preached the same thing for 60 years. I have a lot of his messages. A lot. I can tell you the ones you will listen to, and you have listened to 99% of the things that he ever said. Not that he has to say, that he ever said. 
But I, I give you a set of messages. Listen to all of these ones. You've heard all the stories he has to tell. The man will use the same stories, the same illustrations, the same words, the same scriptures. And he was not tired. And the ministry kept on expanding and growing. And people kept on being blessed all over the world. Now that's just for preachers. So don't try to say something that is new. Just say the thing that God has placed in your mouth and say it. Each time you say it, actually, it comes with a new unction. Each time you say it, it comes with freshness. Each time you say what appears like the same things, people are blessed in a different dimension. And that's the discipline you must have as a preacher. The Lord is good. All right, so that, like I said, that's just an aside. Sometimes preachers listen to me, so I like to just drop some things that are specifically targeted at those ministers of the gospel. Now, let's come back, come back to the main thing we're saying. So I get back, we are back to it. I said that anytime I preach, I go around in cycles, all right, and I get down to this particular point again. And that's to emphasize to the people of God the importance of the word of God in their lives, all right? We said it last time, God does not expect us to bear fruit with any energy. He expects us to do what? Abide. If you abide in him, you will automatically bear fruit. It's to the extent you abide in Christ, it's to that extent you bear fruit that is pleasing to him. Now, if you are bearing fruit, not because you are deliberately and consciously and with pressure abiding in him, that your fruit is not acceptable to him. Because sometimes people bear fruit like this. They go for tricks. One day I was watching a program on TV and we were discussing how to use marketing to spread the gospel, whether it is right or it is not right. You understand? Tricks of marketing. And people were saying all kinds of things. That there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to market, marketing is good. Anything you can do to preach the gospel is important. You know, I listened and listened for some time. You know, for a while I was actually confused. Which side should I be on? Should I be on the side of those who say, no, marketing has nothing to do with the gospel? Or should I be on the side of those who say, yes, you can use it? Till now, I don't even know for sure which one I should tell you I agreed with. However, one thing I can tell you for sure. For example, you're a minister, all right? And you go to learn the tricks of marketing to promote your ministry. Whatever fruit it produces will not abide. It will not abide. It will be a flash like they say in the pan. Boom! It will blow, explode everything, and eventually it comes down again. It will not abide. The only fruit that abides is the one that comes out of the fact that you are abiding in Christ. I hope you are getting my point here. Don't ever forget it. Now, I've talked about ministers, but actually it's like that for every aspect of life too. That's why I said to you before, I find marriage books very difficult to read. Very, very difficult. I have read very few. Well, when I say I read very few, what I mean is I tried to. After some time, I dropped them. Not because reading on marriage is bad. I wrote a book on it. It's just that most people that try to teach on marriage, they are teaching me psychology. Most people that try to teach on marriage, they are teaching me worldly experiences. They try to teach me things that are not born of the spirit, but they seem to work. They are nothing but principles of the flesh. And I realized that my marriage would not be blessed like this. That's after rapidly I lost interest in many of them. People have written all forms of, but let me not refer to them now, unless I undercut some things that have been blessing some people. You understand that they've been enjoying. Maybe not blessing, I don't know, but they've been enjoying. <laughs> and they tell you, you know, then you finish analyzing human character, you know, different. I say, why do you have to use psychology to teach the scriptures? Read your Bible. There's enough understanding inside that. Don't go and quote Simon Freud for me. The man was confused. Are you getting my point? You can't use, you know, you, know, you write, and you are, you are teaching on marriage. Any teaching on marriage, that half of the book is not discussing the two things, and apart from the specific marriage things now, that's not discussing two main things that God talked about. Husband, love your wives, and wives submit. Look, if you don't I, I put around that area, forget that thing. I read the book many years ago. I enjoyed it because I was very ignorant and stupid. Later on, when I grew up, I, I took the knowledge and cast it away. 
<laughs> I said, remember the name of the book. Let me not quote it for you. He said, avoid placating. Learn to negotiate. Nonsense. Nonsense. Total nonsense. People are not learning how to walk by the Spirit. They are telling me, you know, are, are you getting my point? You'll be learning tricks of the flesh. And you expect to prosper like that. It will work for a moment, but eventually it will collapse. All flesh is grass. Are you getting my point? In answer, and the goodliness thereof, the goodliness thereof, the goodliness thereof are the, the flowers of the field, which means sometimes flesh produces something that looks good. You put energy into the flesh, it will produce something for you for goodness sake. But the day will come where everything shall be burnt with fire. Let us see the ones that we abide. Jesus said that there are two ways to build. You can build on these words of mine. Or you can build by disobeying my words and building on other things. Building on other things, it calls building on you no know, sand. Building on the word of God is what? Building on the rock. Now, both buildings will look nice. What a building appears like outside does not tell you about the structural integrity of that building. I hope you're getting my point here. It does not tell you anything about the structural integrity of the building. It doesn't. It looks nice. It does not mean the foundation is good. It looks nice does not mean the pillars are strong. It looks nice does not mean the, you know, the according to Bishop, the suspended slabs are in order. So what are suspended slabs? <laughs> to let you know, I know something. <laughs> and anyway, let me give you the common layman's word, the decking. Oh, you've learned something now. <laughs> you know, I roll with the architects, so, <laughs> so I roll with them, so I learned some of these things. The Lord is good. So the building outside, what it looks like does not tell you what it looks like, what it really is inside. And listen, whether it's built, follow this, whether it's built on the flesh or built on the spirit, whether it's built on sand or built on the rock, you can, both of them can look alike. It depends on how much energy both people put into the finishing. Nothing wrong with finishing the building well. You screed and you paint with very high quality paint. Nothing wrong with it. You can do it to the building that's built on the rock. You can do it to the building that is built on sand. Fleshly things can be well-dressed. And spiritual things also can be well-dressed. The fact that it looks ugly does not make it spiritual. I hope you are getting my point. There are times people equate ugliness with spirituality. No. Ugliness can be just a matter of negligence. You dress very rough does not make you are going to heaven. Your candidature of heaven concerning <laughs> heaven is not what you look like. It may, look, some people, they are depressed, so they look dull. You think they are spiritual. They are not spiritual. As an aside, Derek Prince said, what you look like can attract demons into your life. Oh, that was what Derek Prince said. He said, when you're always looking gloomy and like everything, you will attract the spirit of depression. After Jesus said, anoint your face. I hope you're getting my point here. So the external appearance is not what tells us what is going on inside. The only thing that tells us what is going on inside eh, is a time of testing. That the Bible says will come upon the whole earth. Every marriage will be tested. Every business will be tested. Every ministry will be tested. Things will be tested. Is that time of testing that lets you know which one is built actually on the rock and which one is built on sand? It will tell you which one is built on the spirit and which one is built on the flesh. It is a time of testing. You can, that's why Jesus said, don't judge anything until the time. Just wait. It's a time of testing. As a ministry, I know, I won't mention the name. The time the ministry was, was can I use the word booming? 
This ministry took everywhere. Boom! Everywhere you went. Wow, they were everywhere. Could gather a hundred thousand people with ease. What's amazing? And they had branches everywhere. Had in Nigeria, all over the country, had over all of Africa, had in, in Europe, had in the United States, North America. They had everywhere. You know what surprised me? You know, sometimes when some things we spoil, you'll be wondering, where did they go? You know, there are some cars that were come on those days and they were raining. Then they, you just disappear. You're like, ah, there was a time this car was the in thing. Where is it now? In the same manner, you look at what happened to those ministries. Ah, but they had offices, they had you no know, buildings, they had this, they had that. They just vanished. This one vanished in, I think, six months. They were gone. I was wondering, ah, how could this happen? How, how can this happen? In less than a year, a name that was everywhere, you even, you know, something you want, who, who, who removed the signboard, self? Was it a deliberate attempt to close up the name? Even the signboard is gone. Or the signboards. Most of them gone. If you see the sign anywhere, it's only been inside one tiny room. And three people struggling to keep it alive. One testing period. I, I, know, I remember the things that happened that time. One testing period. Boom, everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. So the difference between one that is solidly built and the one that is not properly built is in the time of testing. If we, do you know, if you build a real house with literal cards, you know, okay, cardboards, and you tape it together, if there's no breeze, it will not fall down. If you kept everything perfectly still, it won't fall down. Let the pillars be broomstick. You know they call broomstick? Use broomstick for pillars. Then put cardboard outside and spray it. And tie it with um, cello tape. Masking tape. And make the building big. Once it can stand in the first instance, if there's never any breeze, it will stand forever. But there's always breeze. Oh, you know now. There will always be breeze. As you finish putting the final tape, one of the workers will sneeze. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> the whole thing is coming down. Just here, one, one, one driver will just drive the engine. Boom! Blow past it. A small, small car passes by it. It generates wind. Then when the real wind wants to come, it, no, it, no, it, it will not, the house will not come down. You know that. The, the thing is going up. <laughs> It will pick the whole thing and carry it away. <laughs> Scatter the pieces all over the place. What I'm going to say is the testing that lets us know what something is built on. Is the testing. I lived somewhere before. We had a house close by to our own. One day they were knocking things, breaking things. Ah, this house very fine. Very beautiful. They built in a short time. You know when I say beautiful? You know, many... House, when people, when the builders are building, they go to the market, buy something. This one, not like that. They will bring a container and drop the container. And be bringing things out from inside the container. They build the house very, very fine. I used to use it to describe our house that time. Where do you say, when you go down there, when you, when you see this particular house, one very fine house, <laughs> I will now use to, you know, calculate where my house is. They were ugly houses around, but I didn't use those ones to describe my house. Why would you use that to describe your house? So when you're going to just say one house that's very ugly, that the roof's falling apart, two houses after that one is my own. Why would you say that? What would you do that? When you get there, you see one beautiful house, you describe the color, the roof, everything. Yes, you just calculate like this from here. That, that one, that is my own house. They wanted, they were knocking things and knocking things and knocking things. 
So that the bishop and I were there. I said, Bishop, you are an architect. Now go inside. Go and find out what is going on. So he knocked on the gate. I looked him. He said, please, I'm an architect. I just want to see what's going on. Maybe I can offer words of advice. Let's make a long story short. See that house? As it was fine. Ah! The wicked soul that built it did not put enough pillars. The wicked fellow that built it did not bear in mind that this place is near a major waterway. So anytime it rains, water will be bubbling up from inside the house. <laughs> if you see the house from outside there, homo, fine. When we were breaking some things, we were feeling bad. Ah. I said, yeah, all flesh is grass. No matter, look, those people doing ministry, forget it, you know, our auditorium is the finest auditorium. One day a breeze will blow. Your finest auditorium will become very empty. That's a matter of fact. Some of these things are things that are added. They are never the focus. Please, you can't be doing ministry and your focus, okay, how are we going to do the auditorium? It's how do we do the people? How do we teach them the word? In the process, like Bishop Wedepo will say those days, that God sent me, didn't send microphone. Ah, he says, it's me the Lord sent. So you come to church and be preached, if you can't hear me, say, actually people couldn't hear him, so they joined money and bought a microphone. One day, one brother came to our kingdom world office where we used to be. He looked around. He said, eh, ah, ah, sir, I hope you are planning to twist this place up. I looked at him like, where is the offering you give me with which I will twist the place up? I don't know whether you're getting my point. You have never sent me 550 cobble. The first time you enter the place, you are saying that this place needs to be improved in appearance. Meanwhile, the tapes were circulating everywhere. Nobody, in fact, no, not that we have moved here, some things have spots. What I'm going to say is that there was one nice thing we used to enjoy those days. One woman came all the way from Abuja. She came to do something in town. She located Kingdom Ward, entered the place and was shocked. Is this all of it? I was very happy. You know, I like things like that. When they've heard the word, they, she's been trem- she and her family, they've been tremendously blessed. She came to Enugu. Say, let me locate where that thing is coming from. Enter the place, Nazareth. <laughs> you know what I mean, Nazareth? Yes. A place you don't expect anything good to come out of. She looked, she just started laughing to herself. Say, now, wow. Just coming from Abba, we just came back this just not too long ago. Uh, yesterday night, we were talking to one of our friends, a pastor there. He said, one day went to pick a guest minister from the airport. And from, I think, maybe near Oweri or something. Anyway, he went to pick somebody from Port Harcourt. So the man looked at his car, he didn't see anything. So he said, the, the car wasn't um, bad, okay? He just said that, he told me the car, I, I, I remember the car. He said, but the man was looking at him, this guy came from Lagos. And you know Lagos, they have some impressions, you understand? You know, Lagos people are very interesting. So the guy came, he looked at the car, he didn't say anything. He said when they got to, the, when, when they now got to the church, this guy was surprised at the size of the church, at the number of people there. Ah, you put this plenty, this church is this big. So after the meeting, he said, man of God, this car does not fit the size of this church. Now, I don't know whether I'm mixing two stories, but let me mix it. If there are two stories, but I think maybe it's the same story. He said that this other man went to his church. His church is far smaller than yours, and his car is much bigger than yours. So he told him that's why his church is small and mine is big. Did you catch that? He said his church is much smaller than your own, but his car is much bigger than yours. 
He said, yes, that's why his church is small and mine is big. It's inversely proportional to the size of the car. <laughs> All I'm just trying to say is that that's where he's putting his energy, getting a big car. And he has gotten it, let him manage the church like that. Me, I'm putting my energy into building the people. So that's what you have seen. As for a car, don't worry about it. All things are added. We don't seek them. I hope you are getting my point. These are things that believers must understand. You don't strive for things that God is supposed to add. You don't. You don't. Now, how did I get there? Anyway, let's just continue preaching. Now, the point I'm making, what we are on right now is, okay, so we believers, we build on the word of God. Jesus made it clear to us that this is how we abide in him, I was saying. is by his words abiding in us. So how do I abide in Christ? It's not by praying. How do I abide in Christ? It's not by speaking in tongues. How do I abide in Christ? It's not just by, you know, it's not by going for evangelism or getting involved in ministry. Now, get my point. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I have done all of these things that I'm saying today. Like I told you, we just traveled back from where we went to preach. I've already prayed several times today. So I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm just saying that is not the method, or these are not the methods for abiding in Christ. Jesus said, how do you abide in in me? He said, by my words abiding in you. By you deliberately putting you know, my words into your heart. By you deliberately paying attention to the words that I'm speaking. Any result you get in life not focused on this will eventually fail. That's what we are saying. Then don't run around looking for methods. I said it last time. I'm just, I just like repeating it. There is no part of life that's not built on that. There is no part of life that's not built on this name. Say, last time I gave the example of, um, was it on Tuesday I gave this example? Or, or, or last Saturday? This man, George, um, George Washington Carver. A scientist. Yet, he was built, okay, it was two Tuesdays ago, I think, alright? Yes. Yet, his life was built on the word of God. You know, I, I said something, that when he asked God for revelation, God, that's, God said, on what? They finally came down to the issue of the groundnuts, peanuts. And because of that, he made the rural areas rich. He brought prosperity. Why? Because God gave him over 300 products from understanding the groundnuts. You know, after I quoted it, when I got home, I actually got to a website where they listed all the products. And they wrote it there, over 300 that a man produced interacting with the word of God. Over 300. I don't know how many of you have heard um, um, Pastor Chris Delvan sing. You know, he's a minister, he's a pastor, all right? He operates prophetically, he teaches, you know, and he pastors a church. He said something once, first time he came to our convention to preach that. People say, why does he not, why does he not release another album? He said he doesn't just release albums like that. That he doesn't write songs. Songs must come to him. I don't know whether you get the point. You know, I just sit down there and we say, okay, what do we put together? La, 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 la. And, no. (laughs) 
him. And he told us a few stories of some songs that he wrote. How he was traveling one day, his windscreen vanished, and he began to have a vision. And by the time he was done, he went down home and put the vision down, and it became a song. What am I going to say? And listen, let me just say this again before I say that. These things are not just for preachers. That's why I give the example of George Washington Carver. Businessmen will come up with ideas having interacted with the word of God. That Tuesday, we explained about the secret hidden wisdom. That there's wisdom God has hidden for the upright. This, this wisdom is there to change the direction of business. To change the direction of economics. Are you getting my point? Of economics. This, business, this wisdom is there to change academics. It's not just ministry. It will give the scientists knowledge. It will give the engineers something to do that other people did not do before him. In his book, Mover of Men and Mountains, how did you know talk about it? He talked about it. How they went to church one night, the whole night, you know. So he just got home very late, maybe around 12 or something. He just collapsed on his bed. He wanted to sleep. As soon as he laid down, it was like a vision. He got up immediately, rushed to his study, and began to sketch. He sketched most of the night. Ideas that the Holy Spirit just dropped into his mind as he laid down. Next day he went to work. And told his engineers, he just gave them the sketches. That's the next machine we are building. They will have, they, I mean, they will have thought that this man meditated for a long time. He's, no, just yesterday night. He went home, laid down to sleep. As soon as he laid down, the idea hit him. He got back up again. Ran to his study and began to sketch. It took the engineer weeks and weeks of working to bring out the proper engineering drawings to bring his idea into existence. What are we teaching? That Christians must learn to build on the word of God again. Any fruit we bear not born of abiding in Christ will not abide. That's what we are saying. How do we abide in Christ? Is by his words abiding in us. Listen, when God wanted to create, he uttered words, let there be. And I like one thing Miles Moreau taught in his days. He said, everything that God created must stay attached to the place from which it was created in order for it to live. That if you are going to remain alive, you must have a connection to the source you came out of. And he proved it. He said, for example, what is the human flesh made of? The earth. God formed the man out of, you know, the dust of the earth. He said, for the man to survive, he has to eat food. I hope you are getting my point. Why? Because food comes from what? The earth. Even if you eat meat, the meat had to eat the earth. So you get the nutrients for the survival of your flesh from the earth. Why? You were made from there. We were born of what? The incorruptible seed, which is what? I didn't hear you well. The word of God. According to that theory released by Miles Moore, which is of course very, very true, if you don't remain connected to that word, you start dying. And I remember the way he proved it to us. It's as simple. Go to the earth, pull out any plant, and keep it detached from the earth. For the first no, 10 minutes, it looks like nothing has happened. If it's a small plant, 
After the first one, uh, the leaves have already, gi- they've, they've already given you signs. Say, bros, you can't stand straight. Say, stand, say for where? The leaves has <laughs> By next day, they've changed color. After three days, they are drying up. Make a long story short, they die. Why? You pull them out of the place for, from which they were born. Anytime a Christian is detached from the constant infusion of the word of God. And there's something, you know, if you read that book of Hebrews, you know, somebody pointed out to us many years ago. He said, the Bible says he upholds, how does he do it? What did the Bible say? He, did, he does what? He upholds. It's not he upheld. Are you getting the point? It's not he's upheld. He upholds. All things by what? The word of his power. That is, that word must constantly be going forth. Otherwise, they die. For those of us he has given volition, free will, we must therefore constantly be drinking it in. Otherwise, we die. Let me explain the principle of faith to us again. Faith does not mean knowledge. Faith and knowledge, they are not the same thing. Faith does not mean, you know, being acquainted with a method. I know the words to speak and this will happen. That's not what faith is. Faith does not know. I mean I know how to pray. When we want to pray, we start with thanksgiving. That thanksgiving will open the gate of God. Just open it. Then you walk in and then you start with praise. Then his head starts swelling. Then just as his head is about to burst, you tell him the reason why you have come. God may as well be a very large computer. Doesn't have a mind of his own. He can't, just once you press him rightly, he must operate. And when you put garbage in, you get garbage out. He doesn't process anything. Shall I give you small news? That's not my God. Faith is not like that. Faith actually is a spiritual substance. You can speak, two people can speak the same words. One will be full of faith, the other will not be full of faith. I adjure you by Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. You know what happened? The demons say you, they adjure somebody. Where you come from, they don't have respect, Abby. What did, did you call my name? <laughs> the demon got angry. Just because you know how to touch the hem of a garment doesn't mean you will get healed. If the garment has nothing, are you getting my point? You go and touch rubbish garments. Virtue will leave you. You get worse than before. <laughs> you can use the right words. I have no results. When Jesus spoke to the tree, he wasn't trying to kill a tree. He just expressed, let me put the, use the expression. He just expressed a feeling. But the power inside him was so great, the tree died. What am I saying about faith? Faith is a spiritual substance. Literally, if God could open our eyes, if God would open our eyes for us to see, we'll be able to measure. You see it flow like fluid. You see like energy. You know, some, some forms of energy, you know, you can't see them. For example, now you can't see electricity. There's no way to see electricity. Is there a way to see it? I'm not aware. You only see the effect. But do you know, even though you can't see it, you can store it. Are you aware of that? Even though you cannot see electricity, yet you can store it. What do you store it in? What do you store electricity in? 
batteries. That's why you plug your phone. It takes it like between 30 minutes for fast charging phones to two and a half hours for regular charging phones to charge. And it stores enough electricity to power your phone for the next 24 hours, as an example. Yet that electricity, you can't really see it, but it's real. You can measure whether it is there or it's not there. Faith is like that too. It's a substance. It can be stored. It can be consumed. It can finish. I'm not kidding about that. It can be low. And that's why Jesus used to speak and say, Oh, you of what? Little faith. So he has measure. Daughter, great is thy faith. He has measure. If you have faith as a mustard seed, he has measure. My emphasis, all right, is that sometimes that faith is depleted, but we still have the right words. I don't know whether you get that. The faith is depleted, but the words are still right. So, last year, or, okay, let's not use last year. Eight years ago, something happened in your life. You opened your mouth, you spoke, the tree died. Or Lazarus rose up from the dead. So you think, I have entered the realm. And I know the key. That day that I spoke, it was after three days of fasting. That day that I spoke, it was a red dress I was wearing. That day that I spoke, there was a way I tied my hair. That day that I spoke, I remember I just came back from the barber. I just cut my hair in an, in a crucifixial style. Don't ask me what that means, alright? <laughs> and that day that I spoke, I remember I began with worship. Then I was angered. I was provoked to anger because of the situation. Then I said to Lazarus, rise. And that situation, no, immediately rested. Then I said to the tree, die by fire. <laughs> and the tree went down. So you now think you know the method. That was eight years ago. So this time the same situation arose or arises. You now get there. Give me a moment. You rush the barber. Cut that thing. <laughs> so the barber calves your hair <laughs> the way it was. And then somebody pinch me and get me angry. And somebody pinches you. And I speak to Lazarus. I said, rise up. He releases two maggots for you. Don't forget it's decaying. Donates two maggots into your environment. Say, so eight years ago, I said that one, I got a result. Right now, you say it again. Lazarus dies some more. Finally, after a while, said, now close the grave, let's go. <laughs> what we often don't realize is that the faith that was in the heart eight years ago that you spoke, you don't have it anymore. You have the knowledge, most certainly. That's why I said the other time, we should learn to do what? You know, rekindle our faith, nourish our faith. Because it can get weak. It can get weak. It can get weak. It can be drained. It's like energy. You just, you know, something touches it. You discharge a heavy dose of it. You need to settle down and recharge it again. That's the point I'm making. What you don't realize is that eight years ago, listen, you were constantly in the atmosphere of faith. Faith was being spoken into your heart constantly. You hung around people that spoke faith. You went to a church where they talked faith. You read books that radiated faith. 
you had absorbed faith into your substance. So when you casually spoke, situations responded. You thought you learned the method. There was no method. Your haircut was a coincidence. I hope you're getting my point. The color of dress you wore was a coincidence. What worked was the substance of faith that was inside your heart. But in the last few years, Demas has departed from that church. I hope you're getting my point. Demas has been busy here and there. You don't know when last you had time for adequate fellowship with any person of like, you know, precious faith. The guy in front of you in the office is an unbeliever. The one on your left is a, is an atheist, does not believe there is a God. These are the people that talk to you morning, afternoon, and night. Oh, you and your wife, you don't even interact. You married since so, but you married an unbelieving person who goes to church. Are you getting my point? The atmospheric, the atmospheric, you know, concentration of faith in the house is very low. The little faith you bring in each time, as soon as you enter, it's sapped away. Oh, and you don't have time. When they say, let's go to church, you say, I have a business meeting. And when Satan wants to take you away from your destiny, he gives you money. If you were Satan, what would you do? Won't you, you have to pay now. Why would somebody stop following leg except you offer something? So you have plenty of money, little faith. Very little faith. But the money is good. Everything is plenty. And the fact that you have money, you think is a sign that your faith is working. You don't know it's a negotiation for that faith that you don't have it. I hope you are getting the point. And that's the issue. That's the issue. And so you speak and nobody answers. You use the right words, you don't get the results. Why? Because you don't realize that the Bible says he upholds all things. It's a constant thing. It's not he upheld all things. He upholds. He upholds. He upholds. You know one of the things I found out? It's very disappointing. The point in time for me, it was scary. And that is the fact that you obeyed God today does not mean that thing will succeed tomorrow. I don't know whether I get the point. Let me explain. You know, you know, I know I started this uh, b- b- business, or I started this marriage, or I started the ministry. The word of God came to me that it was very powerful. I just finished, you know, you know, we just finished a program, and I remember after I went home, I was studying, I was studying, and then I had this thing. It was the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart very strongly, and that's how come I started this business. Or that's how come I started this ministry. Or that's how come I decided to get married. Even though I was broke and I was poor and I was busted and I was disgusted, like, like we say. And you know what happens? Automatically we Christians think that if you started that obeying God, God is faithful. He will not let you fail. And let me tell you something. In life, one of the prayers I pray to God, don't let me be, don't let me be an example of why we should not obey you. I don't know what I hear on him say. He say, ah, what are you doing? You say you are believing God. That's how that man believes God. You know he has died now. That's how that one, <laughs> don't stay. That's how that one believes God. You know he's very poor now. If you see his house, the roof is leaking everywhere. doesn't have money. That's how he believes God. See, all his children now, they didn't finish school. Can't say all their clothes are torn. He was, God said he was believing when he left that place. So. Stay where there is security. He said, I'm believing God. Ah, okay. And anyway, don't say I did not tell you. You, you can't remember? What was his name that time? Was it not Andrew? Is it Philip? Is it Peter? Okay, it's John, 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 John. They said they were believing God. No, no, it's not John, it's Peter. He said he was believing God. They said, stay inside the boat. You know what happened? He came out on water. He sank. I was at the barrier. He drowned. <laughs> Be wise. Stay inside the boat. 
Hmm. Okay. Oh. That's the painful part. Except that the man was right. When he stepped out of the boat, Jesus said to him, come. Are you getting my point? And if Jesus says, come, you have to come. You can't say the boat is safe. I will stay inside. Who are you? The Lord Jesus said, come. Even if he didn't want to come, you have to come. Many people have started things in life and they have failed. And people have therefore deduced that starting was wrong. But God said, no, no. He upholds all things by the word of his power. The fact that you started by faith does not guarantee to succeed. Except you continue by faith. I hope you are getting the point. I started by faith is no guarantee of success. Is did I continue by the faith with which I started? That is what guarantees anything. Many people started like Peter. Stepped out of the boat with boldness. Three years afterwards, they sank. And people turned around and said, that day we were telling him. He said he had faith. And the rest of us said we don't have faith, Abby. He has drowned now. We are still inside our boat. Our boat may be small, but we thank God. <laughs> we have not drowned. Listen, I feel like I should charge the people of God. You owe God a duty to continue by faith, lest you become a reason why people should not obey him. After all, the Israelites, you know some Israelites refused to leave Egypt. You know it's not everybody that left. You think it's everybody that left? Don't worry, not everybody left. Everybody never leaves. It never happened. No, you think everybody left? No. Some people married Egyptian girls whose fathers were very rich. And whose fathers controlled everything. <laughs> Do you know that? And some Israelite women have married Egyptian princes and you're not going anywhere. Their firstborn died, but what's the big deal? They had secondborn. <laughs> oh, you think everybody left? Go and read the story. Some people followed them who were not Israelites. The Bible called them what? The mixed multitude. In the same manner, some mixed Israelites stayed behind. <laughs> now this one I'm making to you. Follow this. Who lived longer? The Israelites that stayed behind or the one that followed Moses? I'll tell you. The one that stayed behind. The ones that followed Moses, they all died in the wilderness. So if you want to use... That's why I said, don't use worldly wisdom to plan your life for. Because worldly wisdom will say, Moses said, follow who? To which promised land? Wait, wait, stay here. Okay, okay, wait. 45 years ago, one guy came and said his name was Moses. He said they should follow him to the promised land. No, these were my neighbors. I know what, I know what I'm telling you. Mr. Ephraim Malachi. <laughs> dead, buried in the wilderness. <laughs> Jonathan Daniel. Dead, buried in the wilderness. What's this one? Check this one for me. Oh, Judah, Israel. Where is he? Dead, buried in the wilderness. They were my neighbors. They were living here. Moses said, follow me. What happened to them? They said that the God of miracles is their papa. Where are they now? They are all, they are all dead. Say, so please, oh, bros, don't follow any Moses. Oh. I am telling you, don't follow any Moses. Oh. You are safer in Egypt. Your first son will die. There's, don't worry. It's Moses that did it. But you have a second one. 
those Israelites became a reason. And, you know, an example of why you shouldn't follow God. That's like Christians, eh? When you want to follow the Lord, eh? Make up your mind that you have died already. I don't know what I get my point. Say, the, the day I followed him, I died. So if along the line, say, take a risk, take it. I don't know what I get my point. He said, what if I die? I'm already dead. Dead people don't die twice. Look, are you getting my point? Nobody dies. I'm already dead. Because those who followed the Lord and were playing safe, they became a reason why other people don't follow him. So sometime ago, I prayed and said, God, please help me. I don't want to hear. Hey, you are doing like banking, eh? Okay. We told him that time. We told him. He said, I was walking by faith. You know what annoys me about these Christians? They make it look like the rest of us don't have faith. You know, you've heard such things. They make it look like the rest of us don't have faith. God is only their God. The rest of us are not Christians. Ah! I told God, please, whatever you have to do, do to me. But now beg, I beg you. Don't let me be used as, an, as, a, as a quotation of why you should not be obeyed. Because people will not understand that it is not your fault, that it's my fault. They will understand that Mr. Ephraim Malachi, whatever be the name, that died in the wilderness. It was not because God could not take him into the promised land. It was because when God said, enter the promised land, he said, I can't enter. It was not the Lord's fault. The power of God that took him out of Egypt, that took him through the wilderness, was available to take him into the promised land. But when it was time to enter, Satan did, he ran back. Was that not what happened? God looked at him. Jeremiah, so I'm sending you to some people. They are tough. They are strong men. They control PDP. They control APC. They are bishops. They are heads in Khan. That's Christian Association of Nigeria. They are founding members of PFN. He said, but they are all backsliding. He said, you are a small boy, a prophet. You remember Jeremiah was a small boy. So God said, I have put my words on your lips. He said, now two things. One, Whatever I send you, you shall go. Two, whatever I tell you to say, you shall say. He now said to him, don't be afraid of them. He said, because if you are afraid of them, I will disgrace you before them. Sometimes when you look at the Lord, it's better not to even know him at all. Yeah, because if Jeremiah was continuing his priestly business, nobody would know he ever existed. Nobody would disgrace him. God do small, small sacrifices in holiness. God now called him to ministry, exposed him, made him face people tougher, stronger, and more dangerous than himself. And then I commanded him that if you are afraid of them, I will disgrace you. That is, if Jeremiah ever suffered disgrace, it was because of his fear. I don't know whether you are getting my point. If Jeremiah ever experienced disgrace, it was not because his God was not powerful or because what he was doing was wrong in itself, but because of his fear. So God stood and told him, I am warning you. If I tell you to t- tell a man that does is the Lord, and you get to his office, and you see the soldiers guarding him, and you say, thus I was thinking. And then, <laughs> then he now turn and go back. God said, before you leave that place, I will have a small boy slap you. So you are afraid of police before, a soldier. Now, Agbero, we beat. Do you understand my point? He a soldier you are afraid of before. This time around, is Agbero. Small, worried tout. Have you ever seen a worried out before? His mouth is seven times the size of his body. <laughs> Say, bros, when I wound you finish here. Like, you will look at this boy. Is his height? 
He wants to wound me. So you say you will slap him, you will carry you, knock you down, beat you silly. And you wonder what happened. God said, I'm the one disgracing you. Why? You are afraid of the man I sent you to. Jeremiah would have had no such problem. Were it not that he started obeying God? But God said, if he that endures to the end is the one that will be saved. What am I going to say? He said, he upholds all things by the word of his power. So the word you heard that got you started will not sustain you. You have to go back to hear it again. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The fact that I heard it before is not what is sustaining you. Is that he upholds all things by the word of his power. So Christians don't have a choice but to feed on that word constantly, daily. Especially when you've made a dangerous decision at a time. When you've done something everybody said don't do. And you did it only because the word of God said do it. My brother, my sister, if you're in that kind of situation, hold that word tightly. Read that one that made you start in the first place. Read it every day. Every time you remember, go back there. Read the scripture again. I hope you are getting my point. If they say, go to Sambisa and go and preach. And you say, after you heard, <laughs> you know, strong missionary word. The gospel must be praised in the Sambisa forest. The seat of Boko Haram. And your mother said, don't go. Your father said, ah, this begin. All our labor on you, you want it to end now. Say, no, the word of God. Bros, then you not carry your body. You can't go inside Sambisa Forest. Let me tell you the truth. Eh? That, don't say, because I obeyed God and came here, Boko Haram will not kill me. They will kill you. Except, no, that's what I'm telling you. Except, is the except I'm talking about. Except you remember the word that brought you there. So you will start every morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's important. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Before you sleep at night, quote that scripture to yourself. No matter how peaceful, when you hear that um, soldiers have come, they've eradicated Boko Haram in that area. They've driven the ISIS back into the wilderness. And I say, hey. no, don't say, hey. you came here on a dangerous word. The temptation of Satan, which also happened to Asa, is that 35 years of peace, you will forget that the Ethiopia, the Ethiopians and the Lubim were a strong army. You relied on the Lord and he saved you. When there is peace, that's what happens. We tend to forget. So what happens at such times is that, listen, when they say soldiers have driven everybody back, we bring out that scripture again. There is none like the God of, the God of Israel who rises through the heavens to help me. There is none like the God of Israel who rises the skies, you understand, to my help. He said, the eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath me are his everlasting arms. He has driven out the enemy before me. And he has said concerning them, destroy. You utter that word all the time. Don't let peace take it away from your mouth. Don't. 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 Don't let peace take the words away from your mouth. Because it was that dangerous word that brought you there. That is the only thing that will sustain you. That is why if you were in poverty at a time in life, and God brought you out of poverty into prosperity with the power of his word, occasionally it is good that you go broke. I know what I'm telling you. I know what I'm telling you. If God took you out from sickness and brought you into health, occasionally you should get a headache. It's for your own good. He said, why? Because when that happens, you will remember the Lord thy God. That it is he that gave you the power to produce this wealth. Because if you are not careful, you rely on the wealth that this power produced. And relying on that wealth becomes a curse. You got healed by the power of God. You want to sustain it by diet. 
I hope you are getting my point here. What do you do? You double the dose of the word. What are you saying? Like I said the other time, please, believers, when you have prospered, remember where you were, how you used to interact with the Lord before prosperity came. There are times you will travel. Oh, you have money now, plenty of it. You can even fly private. You check your watch. Say this meeting continues tomorrow. Say, sorry, guys. Today is Friday, right? I can't continue tomorrow. Say, why not? Say, we can continue on Sunday, but I'm going back to Nigeria. Say, but that's five hours from here. Maybe you're somewhere in East Africa. He said, yes, I'm going back home. Why? There's a Bible study I want to attend. Okay. Why can't you tell them you are coming? You'll be there next week. Say, no, I refuse. Ah, they will look at you and say, this guy, don't decrease. Like, you're just telling them that, listen, let me explain something to you people. The word that bested me, I must not leave it now. Say, continue the meeting on Sunday evening, I will be back. But it will cost you so much. Don't worry, is it your money? You will blow the cost of flying a private jet for five hours to and fro to come and sit down to hear the word for two hours. Believe me, somebody will think you are mental. And that is the kind of mental loism that leads to eternal abundance. I'm telling you, you need it. Say, look, anybody that wants to follow me, say, free ride. Say, all of you have ECOWAS passport. Come, enter the plane. Let's go. We'll be back on Sunday. Don't worry. You'll burn the cost of a 10-hour flight to hear a word for two hours. It's madness to natural people. But you know what you are doing. Say, you people, that's how you'll be doing me. Before I know what's happening, I will have forgotten where I began from. He upholds, not he upheld. He upholds, not he upheld. There's a constancy. It's food. It's food. It's food. There's a constancy about it that we need. It is food. How does God cleanse his people? We're talking about God purifying his vessels. It's constantly through the infusion of the word. Constantly. There is nothing else. What I wanted to explain to us, let me just get into it briefly. Before the rest of the time we have. is <clears throat> how the word works in our lives. There is something. There are many things it does. Today I just want to quickly add something to it and we'll close. I won't speak for too long because I've been preaching since morning. You understand? Okay, so let's take some rest. There's a scripture I want us to read. Let's just read that one. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start from verse... Um, let me see. We'll start from... Let's just start from verse... Um, 12, just for the sake of um, reading, we'll read to verse 18. He said, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this day, this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He said, we, he said now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Notice that, beholding as in what? 
a mirror. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Please bear that in mind. I need to read um, one or two other scriptures. James chapter 1 verse 23, quickly. Okay, let's back up um, to verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Please notice that putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Last one we should read, First John chapter 1, from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses all from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, rather, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, Let me just remind us again. Remember, we're talking about perfecting the Lord's vessels. Why is the vessel being perfected? Because the imperfection of the vessel limits the amount of the glory of God it can carry. I hope you're getting my point here. For what God wants to release into the lives of people, there's a certain amount of preparation of the vessel that is required. Now, Jesus says something, and this is really true. He said that no one takes, that is, if you have new wine, you don't put into what? Old wine skin. Why? He said because if you do that, what happens is that the wine will ferment. You know, that's what happens. It releases a lot of gas. And then it will burst the old wine skin, which has become stiff. And both the wine skin and the new wine will be wasted. Do you understand my point? So you have to prepare the vessel you want to put the wine into. That's just the way it works. Otherwise, you destroy everything. There's a kind of anointing that God wants to pour on people. Do you understand? They will be destroyed. Do you know Saul would have lived long if he did not become king? You know Saul? He looked like a very humble man. Before they made him king, you know he was humble. Are you aware of that? Did you read your Bible and you notice that? 
When they say you'll be king, you say, ah, me, no, no. Please, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. The Lord has chosen you. Who am I? Who am I? The day they found, the day they were going to choose him publicly and they were separating the family, when they got to, where did they find him? He had gone to hide. Where was he hiding again? Amongst some things they kept somewhere. He had gone to hide. You know what she would say? Ah! Humility. You know what I like about that man is his humility. Once you are talking to him, you can see the spirit of humility. You'll be speaking in tongues on his behalf. Until they anointed him king fully. Who was humble? Hey, 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 I'm the king in Israel. Who hid David? Kill all the priests. They are, look, Saul would have lived long, except that they made him king. If he was just chasing his father's donkeys, there would be no problem forever. Jeroboam really didn't have any problem. Until they made him king. You, you know what? I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said it. He said, the real test of a man is prosperity. He said, any man can endure adversity. He said, the real test. You want to test somebody. He said, give him prosperity. He said, oh, this, uh, I'm suffering. Anybody can suffer. That suffering will make you very humble to cool you down. He said, you want to know whether somebody is a real man. He said, you test him with abundance. You test him with prosperity. I don't know whether it's Abraham Lincoln, one of the American founding fathers that said that thing, but it's the truth. Paul, with everything, he said there was a level of revelation that I got, abundance, that there was just only one problem. <laughs> I will become exalted above measure. He said to keep that one from happening, God said I still had to release that revelation. So I'm going to do something for you. Just manage this stone in the flesh. We modern faith preachers, we have tried our best to say that was not like God. Listen, stop trying to twist the Bible. Read what he says and leave it like that. Paul said, for the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Why? Lest I be exalted above measure. Now, it doesn't mean revelation must always bring forth a thorn in the flesh. It was just that Paul had the risk of becoming proud. So if Paul didn't want that turn in the flesh, don't pray with the turn in the flesh. It's there for your own good. That's what God said. What should he do? Work on the thing in him that makes him proud. That's Paul, Apostle Paul, who we all respect so much. Yet he explained to us that abundance of revelation leads to pride. You know, Kenneth Hagin, who blessed us so much, trained us in ministry, he said one of the things the Lord told him that time. He said, God... <laughs> Listen, God placed the healing anointing in his hand. You know, the kind of like, you know that most of us who are believing God, the Bible says that if I lay hands on the sick by faith right now, I lay my hands by faith, you will get well. What is your problem? The Lord has promised. He's like, don't, come on, this world must work. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> Paulson was different. Kenegiso was different. He had the revelation. When I say revelation, I don't mean he understood the Bible. That's understanding. What the Bible calls revelation is an unveiling of something spiritual that you begin to perceive. The Lord appeared to him and said, bring out your hand. And he put a finger in his hand. And he said, from now on, and his hands began to burn. Like somebody put hot coal on it. It was burning. So that's the healing anointing. 
Now, if you tell anybody that appeared to you, if you tell them that the healing anointing is in your hands, if you will tell them that I said you should lay your hands on them, say anybody who believes what you have said will always get well, no matter the kind of sickness you are dealing with. <laughs> that kind of anointing. The Lord now told him, but there are two problems. Number one, people will pay you anything for this kind of operation of the Spirit. So you have to be careful about money. You don't charge anything. You don't promise anybody for any fee. People show up, and I'm adding my own words to explain it now. You pray for them. When you do meetings, take your offering as you usually do. Offering time, blessing time. Let those who want to give, give. Nobody brings money to you because they want healing. He said, many people that I placed my anointing upon, that was how they spoiled it. They became money-minded. You may say, how would they do that? What kind of thing is that? Bros, he that thinks he stands, or he that thinks he's sitting down comfortably in Kingdom World Ministries, should take care, lest he falls down from that chair. You may say, sometimes you have not been in the kind of problems some men have been inside. I'm not saying what they, did, what they did is right to, or was right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, don't just say, how can? There's, there's a how that happened. Sometimes, maybe you have finished, somebody comes to you and says to you, Pastor, we are bringing to four doctors. The first one was in Nigeria. The next one was in India. The one of that was in America. Each time we went to a doctor, we spent not, the Nigerian one cost us a million. The one we went to India cost us two million. The one in America, that was ten million naira. Then we came back to Nigeria, they didn't do anything. Say, sir, they said if we come to you, you can help us. He said, yes, Jesus said to me, if I lay hands, I, I, do you believe I believe? You turn around, you lay hands on his wife, maybe his wife was sick. And in 24 hours, a family that had blown like, maybe like, two, no, like 15 million naira pursuing illness. The illness disappears like this. Boom! And they come and say, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. And they carry their body and they walk away. And you are going back home, there's no food in the house. I hope you are getting what I'm saying. They are not poor. They just told you the story. I know, <laughs> before I used to wonder, why do people behave like that? Now I know there are two reasons. One, that's how they are. Two, God said, that's how I like it. For your own sake, that's how I like it. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. People will come and talk about how, how they have suffered. One prophet somewhere collected 200,000 naira to pray for them. The other prophet said his own fee is 150. And they paid these people. They did not hear you teach on radio. They now looked for you and said, Pastor, please help me. You now teach them the word personally for 15, 30 minutes. Counsel them. Prayed for them. And they said, thank you, sir. And they are going. So there's a CD you should listen. There's one CD you talked about. Do you have it there? Yes, sir. How much is it? It's 100 naira. They give you 500 naira and collect 400 naira change. <laughs> and then they say, God bless you, sir. And you are thinking, did God not bless that first prophet that you gave 200,000 naira? Did God not bless the other one you gave 150? Why is it that it is me that God will just bless like that? And God said, that's how I like it. 
My wife told me of somebody who was sick. And the prophet said they should send, was it 800? No, how much was it? They started with how much? It was in millions now. They finally priced it down to like, is it 500,000? To 600,000, God bless you, my wife. And they had not seen the prophet, though. Just on the phone. They located him by app, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Jumia prophet. Located the prophet, and somebody gave the, gave the prophet. Are you sure those people don't collect court? Those, those referral agents. He said, No, he's going to pray. He said, one point, Yes, 1.5 million. They said, Please, sir. They priced it down to 600,000 and they paid. He said, We will now come to the likes of Kenny Higgins and say, God bless you, sir. That was why Jesus had to warn Kenny Higgins say, Oh boy, it is a vexed person. Let me warn, warn you ahead. They will annoy you. I remember one man of God that, <laughs> a child that had been discharged from UCH Ibadan, sent back home to die because doctors couldn't do anything, an eight year old child. The child was twisted and all kinds of things on the bed there. And they called this man of God. And he prayed for about five days or seven days. And the child became totally, 100% cured. And the parents never came to his house to say thank you, sir. If needs the prayer and left, and that's the last of them he had, nothing, he never saw them again. The world is full of people. Can I again? The Lord had to tell him, my son, that's how it is. But I don't want you to charge a dime. People have gotten angry and they started charging money. Yes. That's it. And that, 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 I give all of this to you for you to know that it's not because they were originally wicked, some of them. Some of them just got angry over time. Now, what is going on? But we're not talking about the people, we're talking about the preacher now. And for that reason, some of these preachers start charging money. And along the line, and that's how God, why God wants. Along the line, you can't distinguish between the genuine and the fake. Why? They all charge money. So they waste the anointing of God. And the generation is denied a manifestation of Jesus Christ again. So Jesus warned the man and said, never, ever become money-minded. He said, remember to give the glory to me. What I'm telling the story is that there's a level, remember I talked about Paul and Revelation. There's a level of manifestation that comes, things with Paul, even though the person was originally good. Saul was okay until the anointing of a king came upon him, he could not carry it. Many people are in all, they are alright until the great anointing comes upon them. So God said, I don't want another shipwreck in this generation. So before I pour the anointing, I purified them as much as possible. And listen to this. When I pour it upon them, they are now in trouble. When I say they are now in trouble, now pressure has come. The word glory in Hebrew is the same word as weight. If, you say, if I say, come and help me carry this, this bag of cement, you say it is weighty, it's heavy. In Hebrew, you will say it is glorious. Because the Bible, Paul, when he wanted to write in the New Testament, he calls the weight of what? Of glory. Glory is heavy. 
if people are not built up and they are made strong, they crumble under the weight of it. They always crumble. So God said, what do we do? We prepare them. We strengthen them. We work on them. It is the extent to which we are able to work on them that the glory, that my glory can manifest in their generation. Because when I put a dose of glory in it, people waste it because they crumble under the weight of glory. Think about it. Do you know many pastors? And we don't realize we'll be, we'll be giving, oh God, funny. See, listen, if you want wisdom in life, read your Bible. Please, if you want wisdom in life, read your Bible. If you want wisdom in life, read your Bible. Why am I saying this? Many people in this life, they have missed God and we are celebrating them. They came, Jesus came with glory. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten son of God. Full of what? Grace and truth. What people say they wanted to make him king. That was human reaction. And many people with that kind of anointing in this generation accepted the crown and became kings. Sometimes pastor weigh, pastors, they, they carry so much weight. You know, they are good people. They love the Lord. They, they have an anointing. They can relate. They can judge fairly like Solomon could as a young boy. And the people say, you are the governor we need. Then he leaves the pulpit, collects a party ticket, and they start voting for him. To be a governor. And I will start preaching gospel like Christians should be involved in politics, which you know I preach, I'm not saying it is wrong. But this time around, Christ pastors are now removed, prophets are now removed from their pulpit and made governors. Sometimes church members make them board members of heavy corporations. Why? They want people of integrity on their board. It's a business. Money is being made. Sorry, in my opinion, if you're a pastor, when they approach you with it, ask them, who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? And listen, the money is good. A company that's turning over billions annually, profits hundreds of millions, and they give you only 5% for being a board member. Do you know how much money we're talking about here? It's a lot of money. They offered it to Jesus too. And he just left them. I'm not anybody's king. My kingdom is not, is not of this world. That's what happens. Listen, but if we don't read from the Bible, we will celebrate it from the pulpit to the throne. Seven keys to promotion. <laughs> That's it, from the pulpit to the throne. You know, today I was still talking about your friend. Yesterday night, yes, not today, yesterday night, me, one pastor in Abba and the... Uh, the tall reverend, we're still talking about it. He said, now nah, he has a lot of money. He said, after all, this one of these big telecom companies paid him millions. He said, but that man, he was telling us, he said, I used to carry him around from our church, from one, you know, moving around when he used to come to our church in Abuja those days. He said, he has an uncommon gift. He said, his gift is uncommon. And I've said, you've heard me say it before, in my life I've been in services that were anointed. Listen to me, in case you do not know. I have been going to serious services hmm, since I was a little boy. At home, we used to go to Dr. Lufarati's fellowship at home. The man will preach the fire of God down. I've been going to many things since I was a little boy. The story I'm telling you, that man's home we used to go to, in case you don't know, I said I will enter university in 1985. And I was going to his fellowship before then. I became a student of the word of God by myself in 1987. 
and we used to run here and there hearing the gospel. We left campus around 18, either 89 or 90, rushed to town because Benihin came to Faith Arena to go and hear Benihin live. Freddie Casey Price came that time. He came to our campus. I was in the meeting. I have been in meetings that Ron Kenoli preached before. I have been there. I attended the Winner's Chapel for a long time. I've heard Bishop Oedipo minister, person. I've been in meetings where you could feel the anointing radiating from the wall, yet you couldn't get into the hall. Yet this man I'm telling you about, this young man I'm telling you about, your friend, if I count all the, the most anointed meetings I've been in my life, I count the top ten, his is one of them. One meeting, he came to Enugu here. By the time he was done, I realized I had hardly ever in my life been in this kind of meeting. Yet, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Demas has departed from me, having fallen in love with this present generation. They put him somewhere to pastor a church. He ran away because of hunger. Anointing one generation, almost wasted. I'll use the word almost. I don't, I don't know what restoration God will do. And why was he able to go into those realms? It's because he was anointed. Many pastors have become business developers because they have the anointing for the pulpit. I don't know whether you're getting my point. And they think about it. I use it here for free. They enter kingdom world free, free, and they live free. Yet if I carry this to the corporate world, they'll pay me half a millionaire a day. I preach in one church those days in Lagos, one redeemed church. The story I'm telling you now, okay, not much story about it, but just to tell you when. This was, I always, you know, they say before the days of King Uzziah, that kind of thing. I always use the time I married as a reference. I had not met my wife, this one I'm telling you about. So this story I'm telling you is definitely over 20 years ago. So remove whatever I am right now, minus 20. 20 something actually. It was around 19, yes. It was 97, 98. I finished preaching in a particular church. They were doing youth fellowship. One guy there said, a youth program. One, that, that one of the guys said, look, there's one of my seniors from school. He was just about a few, a few years my junior. He said, please, let's invite him. He's a good preacher. That day when I finished preaching, eh, the whole church ca- caught fire. One man came to meet me. He said, I wanted to come and talk to my staff. I don't know whether you're getting my point. When I delivered the anointing of God, when I delivered the anointing of the Holy Spirit, his own response is, please come to my office and come and talk to my workers. I hope you're getting my point here. If I carry that anointing, go there. And I charge them. You know, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. If I enter that place, God may say that, you know, this is not where I sent you. Anointing will still flow. At the end of the day. <laughs> if you know how much, how, how, not, not how much, how little, that's a good word. How little we paid those days. It would have been good money. No matter how little he gave me, it would have been at least 20% of my month's salary for one hour. And so, sometimes when we are not careful, we pastors will buy into that. We are going from one boardroom to another. One staff motivation meeting to another. We are not preaching the gospel to them. We are going from one place to another. In the days of Oceanic Bank, they had a regional meeting one day here. And one man said he wanted to see me. The senior manager. I mean, what a regional manager. So I said, okay. He said, please, they want me to come to talk to them. I said, let us meet somewhere. We met somewhere. I said, let's discuss the terms. So he thought I wanted to discuss money. So we sat down that day. I said, are you aware that I'm a preacher? I don't motivate people for greater productivity. I preach the gospel. He said, yes, I'm aware. That's what Madame wants. Oh, you want me to come and preach and pray? He said, yes. I said, okay, I will come. 
All right, shook. So he was expecting me to tell him how much. No. I shook his hand very well. It's all right, no problem, I will be there. So you people want preacher. And I went, uh, no, it's true. No, because I told him, I said, I wanted to also, let's be clear. I ain't coming to motivate your staff to perform better. I'm coming to preach the gospel. I only add doses here and there because I believe that we can bless the nation. So I may add some things that along those lines. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Sometimes we preachers, look, we are welcome in those places. And before we know what's happening, we cannot draw a line between just being a teacher of righteousness and a judge and an arbiter over people. They give us all kinds of jobs that don't belong to us. What we don't realize is that as good as it seems, when Satan came to tempt Jesus Christ, bow to me, that was an easy way to save the world. He said, I will give you all these kingdoms. So Jesus just needed to bow small. When you bow to Satan, he will receive the whole kingdom. They will not decree righteousness. That's how we reason it now. This morning now, now use it to preach the gospel. <laughs> I've told you, if you want wisdom, read your Bible. That's where you find the true wisdom, the wisdom of God. Read the scriptures. Many have made a shipwreck of the anointing of God. That is why he's careful to train us before he can pour his glory. Because glory is weighty. Glory is weighty. The word for glory in Hebrew is the same thing as weight. So when you pour on people that are not prepared, vessels not well trimmed and conditioned, they are destroyed. Not only are they destroyed, the new wine you poured into them, that new wine you poured into them is wasted. Demo Shakaran tells the story in his, in his book about a young, he said he had never seen any preacher like that. Never. Full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In his 30s, the man loved money so much, the much occurrence I had never seen that type before. He could see money in everything. He came for the meeting, everywhere was plenty. He said, ah, ah, or more. He said, you can do something with this. I have preached before, anointing flowing. Ah, one pastor said, Kai, that word was good. But that was the point in which you should have connected that with the offering. I'm telling you. The much I can, this man always loved the money. Let's make a long story short. That ended his ministry. I did, this was when he was 30 something. By the time he was 40, there about, just managed to cross the age of 40, he died. He had to die because God said, I can't take this anymore. Again, what killed him? The anointing. If he, was not, if he was not anointed like that, all that wahala would not have happened to him. Saul would have made it if they didn't make him king. But God said, what do we do now? We will not say because of that we won't anoint anybody. So what we will do now is to go out and prepare the people we want to anoint. We prune them. As they abide in Christ, what I wanted to explain is that each time as they abide in the world does two things. That's why I read, I read that portion. I read a number of portions, okay? What I want to bring out here and there is the word mirror. Two things the word does. It mirrors, you see, when you understand spiritual typology, you have to know the number of ways you can use them, okay? For time's sake, I'll just drop the meaning. Two things the word does. One, it mirrors Christ for you. So that you see exactly what Christ is like. But number two, which is what I'm talking about, 
it mirrors you for yourself. For you to see how much like Christ you not you are not yet. And for you to see the areas where you need to make adjustments. Except you are properly prepared. You cannot bring down the glory God wants you to bring down in your life. And the way he will prepare you, what he does is that as you are interacting with the word, the word does a number of things, okay? When it's working on people. When there are things he removes from you, you don't even know they are there. But when it comes to character things, he doesn't remove them like that. He reveals them. I hope you are getting my point. What he does, the character matters is what? Revelation. He reveals. Then you now take that revelation. You go to John. That's why you read John. And present it to God as a confession. And then he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. That, you know why John said that? You know, that's one that has caused a lot of problems in understanding the scriptures. He said, if we say we have no sin, and those of us who learn the word of those say in Christ Jesus we've been created in holiness and righteousness of the truth. In the name of Jesus, there's no sin inside us, you know. Then we now go to John. John said, if you say you have no sin. <laughs> you are deceiving yourself. And you are calling God a liar. Ah, he said, brother John, I ain't the one who called God a liar. It's brother Paul. Because the revelation was revealed by Paul. We wrote a book, Paul's Revelations. In the Word of Faith movie. We have things like that. We couldn't understand what John was saying. Ah, John, don't you go. Did you, were you not going to church when Paul was preaching? We have been made perfect according to the image of God in Christ Jesus. That's exactly how I've been made, right? Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking like that. It was mainly preached by American brethren. That's the problem. We couldn't understand. John. How can you say if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? You say we make him a liar. We that have been created. Okay, John, look at how you are contradicting yourself now. You now say the seed of God is in us. He that has the seed of God in him, the same does not sin. Ah, ah, John, contradiction. No, it's we that lacked understanding. John and Paul did not contradict themselves at all. For time's sake, I want to comparise him now, but let me explain what John was saying. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This was what he's saying. That right now, you are not perfect. And that if you feel perfect, it's because you don't have enough light. I don't know whether I get the point. That when God shines a new level of truth into you, you will see the area of yourself where you have not yet been perfected. That is because there is no light. So when God has not shown light on an area of your life, you feel good about it. You feel good. And he, 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 again, he likes it like that. What God does, listen, if God, listen, even though you are a believer, if God shows you the fullness of himself at a time, physically speaking, you will die. And what, you, what will kill you is broken heartedness at your wretchedness. Even though you have the spirit of Christ in you, when you see how pure God is, you realize the smallest fraction of impure thoughts in your head cannot stand near his presence. So God told Moses, you want to see my face? You want to die? What I will do is I will pass first. When I have passed, the remnant of my presence, you can see that one. That's what I call my back parts. It's not as if you see, see shoulder blade. No, that's not what we are talking about. 
No. It's when I have gone, you will see the effects of, effect of my having been there. That's what John was explaining. John was saying, bro, I have no problem. When I take it to another level, okay, let me give you a very simple one. Very simple one that we have used here before. Until we read from that Proverbs chapter 26, many of us did not know. Lying and saying we are joking is behaving like a madman. And you never will have confessed that it's sin. And you were playing April Fool until Solomon told you that you are right. The day I stopped playing April Fool, it was simply because I read Solomon saying I'm behaving like a madman. So until that day, even though I felt perfect, John said, you see, the problem is that there's what? The truth is not in you. When I reveal new truths to you, you will see the new level you need to climb into. In every area of your life, there's a new level to climb into. Every area. And what is sin? Being short of the level of God. That's what sin is. So every time God reveals a new area, suddenly you feel sinful. He said, no, no, don't run away, don't run away, don't run away. Confess it. You confess it, it takes to another level. Say, good, then you feel good. Feel good for six months. Say, good, you are doing well. There is another area. He said, yeah, or more, I'm dead. He said, no, no, you're not dead, you're not dead, don't worry. You know, sometimes people judge themselves wrongly, you know that. They, they, you know, in John, we see an angel. And bow. The angel said, get up.